Well, today I've decided I'd like to share on the subject of influence. I mean, I don't know about you, but influence is such a critical thing, especially in the body of Christ. It's such an important thing to be an influence. What is it to be an influence? What kind of influencer are you? You know, I never really thought much about how I was influencing others until I really sat down and prepared the message that I'm about to share. Influence is such a strong thing and an important thing in the body of Christ. As Christ's disciples, we want to be raised up to be an awesome influence for him. Amen? So we're going to just look at a couple things that would define influence. If we could just put the next slide, the first slide on influence. Influence. To affect character, behavior, and even development of someone. To cause someone to change behavior or belief or opinion. That's what an influence is. It affects the way that when we influence others, how are we influencing them? Are we influencing them in a good way? Or are we influencing them in a bad way? Or maybe you can look at yourself and say, really, I don't even know if I'm much an influence at all. Maybe you're easily influenced. Amen? Some people are easily influenced. When you have teenagers growing up, you can see some of your children are easily influenced. They get around the wrong people. And, you know, they're influenced by their peers, by people, by what people believe, by what people think, by what people try to make you believe and understand. So influence, uh, bad influence, is something or someone that teaches others to do wrong or make them have bad thoughts about someone. A bad influence, yeah. We can talk about others in a negative way. And, you know, there's people that come to to me and my husband and maybe to you, and they talk about others and they say things, not talking about any one of you, that's for sure. But they say things and you're like, well, you can be easily influenced by what people say. But I always say, look, you never know the story until you hear the other side. That's one thing I've learned in ministry and in life. You really don't know the story. One can tell you a story. It sounds so convincing. And you think, wow, what a what an awful person they are. But then you hear the other side, the other person's account of the story, and you're like, wow, they could have been a bad influence on, on me, how I perceive that person. So we have to be careful of our influence. Are we a good influence or are we a bad influence? Carrie Newhoff says it this way, influence has nothing to do with position and everything to do with the person. Doesn't matter what kind of a position you have. Doesn't matter if you're a president of a company. Doesn't matter if you're a leader of the church. Doesn't matter if you are a manager at your workplace. But your influence has to do with how you influence others. How do you want people to change? What do you want... How do you want to influence people in a positive way to see them go from one level to the next level? Amen? To go from one step to the next step. It's so important how we influence others. So today, I've decided that I'd like to share a story that I I think of a person who was very influential in her day. Somebody 
that came out of it seemingly nowhere, and God raised her up and used her, and the story is about Deborah, to change history. She changed history. This woman of God was influenced by God himself to influence others. That's the, the key, I think. If we want to influence others, we have to get in the presence of God if we want to be a good influence as a disciple of the Lord. Amen? We have to get in his presence. You know, our opinions, when you line it up with the word of God, when you get in the word of God and you see what the word of God says, I don't know about you, but I've looked at myself and I'm like, wow, my opinion doesn't really matter much when I look at the word of God. It's not even right. But when we examine the Word of God, when we study the Word of God, when we get to know God, then we can change our life to influence others in a powerful way. And Deborah just did that. She did just that. She was an awesome woman of God. The story begins in Judges chapter 4. In Judges, And I'm just going to paraphrase it myself, because in order for me to read it, I, it's through the whole chapter, it would take too long. So when you go home today or this week, maybe you'd like to read Judges 4 and 5, the story of Deborah, to get a, a better overview. But the story starts out today with the Israelites. Again, it says that they turned away from the Lord. The king, uh, the judge had died. In those days, God appointed judges. God appointed the judge. Man didn't appoint the judge. God appointed the judge. Didn't have kings in Israel. They had a judge. But Israel's judge, Ehud, died. And so when he died, there was no leader, and the Israelites did what they had a pattern of doing. They turned away from the Lord. They didn't have a leader. They didn't have someone in place to lead the people. So they began to turn away from God, do their own thing, do what was seemed natural for them to do. They forgot about the Lord their God. They turned not only, they not only turned away from God, but they turned to the gods of that land. They turned to pagan gods. They worshiped idols. They intermarried with the pagan people. They didn't serve the Lord anymore. So what happens when we rebel, when we turn away from God? When we aren't listening, maybe we're not going out and worshiping other gods. Maybe we're not even denouncing, I'm not serving the Lord anymore. But by our actions, by the way we live, what happens when we as people, I've been there. I'm not standing up here saying I've never done it. I've done it turned away in my heart, turned away from seeking what I know to be true, maybe given up because of my circumstances, maybe given up because things weren't going the way I thought they would go. So I just, you know, you turn the off button, turn it to off, and you just go on your way, and before you know it, your heart gets hard, you get cold, you're not sensitive to the things of the Spirit anymore. And you even look back, and when someone talks about God who's on fire, you're just like... What planet are you from? You don't even get it anymore. You're not in tune with the Spirit anymore. This is what happened to the Israelites. They walked away from the Lord, their God. The God that had chosen them as his people turned their back on him. So what occurs in this story, you know, how many like a good movie? 
like a really good movie. I'm the type of person, I don't watch junk. I'm, I mean, in my opinion, I've got to be careful what I view. It's got to be godly in a sense that there's no, you know, sex and, you know, all that cussing and whatever. I won't do it because for me, it just doesn't do me any good. doesn't do my spirit any good. So I'm careful with what I watch. But I do like a good movie, but I like a true story. I like drama. I like what's real, and I like what's true. If I can sit down and watch an account of someone's life, what they've been through, and what they, you know, what they had to go through, and know that it's true, I'm like, okay, this is good. Story I'm about to share today, it's got a lot of drama. It's got a lot of action, and it's true. Because it's in the Word of God. It's a true account of Deborah's life. It's a true account of the Israelite people. You know, when you get into the Word, when you study the Word, it's not boring. You know, it's not boring. It's so alive. It's so, you know, compelling. And and you just want to read more. You just want to know more. So the Israelites, they've turned their back on God. So what takes place? The king in that time, the evil king was Jabin. And his commander of his army was Sisera. Sisera was a ruthless commander of the army. That's what the Bible says. He was ruthless. And they oppressed the Israelites. They took away all their weapons. They didn't have anything to fight with. They were under the rule of King Jabin and his commander Sisera. They were under their authority. They didn't have freedom anymore. And it said for 20 long years, they oppressed them cruelly. It wasn't good. It wasn't easy. It was hard. They were hungry. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have any any animals anymore. They took everything from them. They took their life from them. And you know, the pattern of the Israelites is this. When they're serving God, they're doing great. But when they fall away from God, they turn away from God. And then they recognize and realize, this isn't good. This isn't good anymore. I can't do this anymore. This is getting hard. You know, life without God, life without the Holy Spirit isn't good. When you've tasted and you've seen what God can do, you can't go back to the things in the world. When you go back into the things of the world, you feel defiled. You feel empty. You're not, you don't sleep at night. You can't focus the way God intended you to focus because your hearts become hard. They turned away from God. And they had to, they had to just accept the circumstances that they were in because there was nothing they could do. Nothing they could do could get them out of this situation. They were in a situation, they were hemmed in, nothing in the natural would set them free. Then they begin to cry out to the Lord. How many when you're in trouble, when you fall? And, and you know things aren't good and you realize God I have forsaken you again and your life is just down in the dumps you cry out to God and what happens I don't know about you but I've always found God to be merciful and to meet me right where I'm at 
Doesn't matter how rebellious I've been. Doesn't matter the things I've turned to. God is there because he's always crying and interceding for his people. He's interceding for you today. He's interceding for me because God wants you to have more. More of his presence. More power. More. Why? To do what he has called you to do. We all have a mission. We all have a a destiny to fulfill. We all have something that God has called us to do. And when we're not doing it, when we're not in line with the Holy Spirit, life is meaningless. We do what we have to do and we go and, and, you know, it's just like the same old. I get up in the morning and I do my thing. I do this. I go to work. I get the kids ready. I do the laundry. You know, we do what we have to do. We pay the bills. It's just not the same with God. But the Israelites cried out to God. They cried out to God because they knew he was a merciful God. He was a merciful God. And they cried out to God because they could not take it anymore. Some of us may say, well, why would God allow this to happen to them? Why would he allow them to come to cap- into captivity? Why would he allow them to such, uh, to undergo such cruel treatment and hardship? I just would like to submit to you today that it wasn't God who turned them and who, who led them down this path. It was their own actions. They turned their hearts over to the other gods. They, they walked away from God. You know, it's like that picture you see of the door with Jesus. He's knocking and he's knocking. He's waiting for us to open the door and to receive him and to look to him. He's always there, but he won't force his way in. You know what? He gives us a free will to choose and do what we want to do. But they cry out to God. And God is merciful. God hears the cry of the people. He hears your cry today. If you're crying out to God with a, with a pure heart and wanting more of him and wanting help in your situation, God hears you today. He hears you. If you're looking to him and you're saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you to come and help me. He will be there for you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I've been through some difficult things. We've been through some hardships as a family. But God has always been faithful. God has always been there for us. And I can see God's hand. And all I can say is no matter what you're going through, don't look at your situation. Just keep serving God. Eventually, eventually you're going to see God answer you. He will. Because he's a God that doesn't lie. He's a faithful God. So they cry out to God. And so the judge Ehud, Ehud, whatever, however you say his name, Ehud, he died. And so God raises up another judge. He said, I'm going to raise up a judge. And who does he choose but Deborah? Deborah, a woman in that day and age, the first and only judge, Deborah. Why did God choose Deborah? Why? It wasn't because, I thought maybe because, you know, the saying, well, he'll use a woman because there's no man there. There's no man to raise up. But that wasn't the case. If you read in in Judges chapter 5, you'll see there were princes in the land. There was other people that were available. But God chose Deborah. God chose Deborah, I believe, because he saw her heart. 
He saw her heart. He knew that she had a heart for the people. He knew that, that if, you know, when you have a judge, she was going to be the ruler of the nation of Israel. When you have a judge, you want them to be a good judge, a good leader, a good uh, woman that will stand up and do what God has called her to do, would hear God's voice. Deborah was that woman. Deborah was, I believe, raised up in the secret place. When we have a communion with God, we have to have a secret place. Anybody who is used mightily by God had that secret place, that communion with him. Deborah had that communion. Some scholars believe that Deborah, before she became judge, was in the temple, and she served as a lamplighter. She served in the temple. She would light the lamps. She would fill the lamps with oil. Some believe that she was, you know, there at the temple interceding. It says that Deborah was not only a judge, she was a prophet. Judge and a prophet. They were the two positions that God had appointed in that day. A judge and a prophet. Deborah was both of them. You don't become a prophet by not going to the secret place. Because when you go to the secret place, you hear his voice. You hear his voice. How many have heard his voice? I have heard his voice. When I get alone in that secret place and I'm crying out to God for a thus saith the Lord, God comes in and he shows up. Deborah had that relationship with God. She was a woman of God. She was put in place. When Deborah came into office, the Israelites had been in bondage for 20 years. So she came into office at a time when things weren't good. Things were bad. You know, we have presidents come into office. You know, when things aren't bad, it's not easy. It's a lot. But Deborah had a relationship with God. She communed with the Father. Deborah's name, it means bee or honeybee. I, I looked up, you know, the word bee. I looked, it was actually not easy to find out, really. Um, but I came to this determination. The bee, the honeybee, is the largest of all the bees. And there's only one honeybee to a hive. A honey, a bee brings order, brings, um, what do they say? They bring direction, have organization skills. The honey bee doesn't go out and gather up the pollen for the honey. The others do, and they bring back the honey to the bee, the queen bee. The queen bee, when it dies or is scattered away or something happens, what happens? All the other bees just disperse. They won't eat when the queen bee's not there. So when the leader wasn't there, they just died. So Deborah was brought into a place of chaos to bring about um, victory. Deborah was put in place because God saw that there was chaos. Her name is quite significant. So Deborah's in office. She would meet under the palm tree of Deborah. It was a date palm. She would go there and sit she was in between Bethel and Ramah, and she would sit under the palm tree for the people of the land to come to her for judgment. They would go to her for their, you know, their civil cases, their everyday cases, the things they needed to go to to find justice. Deborah sat there, and she, you know, painstakingly, day by day, sat there and judged the people. She loved the people. She had a heart for the people. And so her having this heart for the people you know, she begins to cry out to God. I'm sure she did. She was placed there at a strategic time when the people of Israel could take it no more. 
So Deborah was in office. And so Deborah there one day, she, she says, oh, call for Barak, the commander of the army. I want him to come. I want him to come. I have a word for him. So Barak, the commander of the army, he comes to Deborah, and Deborah says, you know, it's time to go up and to fight these Canaanites. God has a plan. I want to go to battle. Gather your 10,000 men, go to Mount Tabor, and God is going to give us victory. Don't worry about that evil commander Sisera. I'm going to take care of him. I'll get him there, is what she basically says. What does Barak say? Whoa. He looks and he says, well, that's okay. I'll go, but only if you go with me. I'll go, Deborah. I will go and I will take my 10,000 men who don't have any weapons. You know, no shields, no swords. 10,000 footmen. And I will go to the top of the valley, Mount Tabor, and I'll bring my men, but if you, only if you come with me. And Deborah says, of course, I'll go with you. And he said, okay, I'll go. Why did Barak do that? Why did he say that? Some say because he was afraid. Some say, you know, he didn't, he couldn't do it without her. But remember, he was a trained warrior. He was a trained warrior. He was the commander of the army of, I said, I think I read there's 40,000, uh, people in the army that day. Then they had 40,000 people. He was a commander of the army. You don't get to be commander of the army if you're afraid, if you're a coward. You can't do it. So he was, I don't believe he was afraid. But I do believe this, that he wanted Deborah with him because she was the prophet of the day. She heard the voice of God. So I believe that Barak wanted Deborah to go with him to battle because he wanted God to go with them. He knew in the natural they couldn't win it. Look at it. They have uh, 900 chariots. Sisera had 900 chariots, and they were fierce. It's like army tanks coming in to these 10,000 footmen. Plus, he had many warriors that he was going to bring with him to this battle. You know, in the natural, they wouldn't win. But he knew and believed and trusted in Deborah because she was a woman of God. She was the judge of that day. He respected her. He honored her. And he said, please come with me. And she said, I will go. She didn't hesitate. So Deborah was willing to go to battle. Wow, isn't that awesome? So crazy. So what happens? Um, Deborah, she said, don't worry. It's going to be good. So Barak goes, he gets his troops ready, cleans them up. I can imagine how they felt. Oh, yeah, we're going to go to battle? You know, I'm. can you imagine what it would be like 20 years? But maybe, just maybe, something rose up within them and said, now enough is enough. It's time, and I'm sure Barak encouraged them and said, look, this is the word of the Lord. This isn't me speaking. This is God. He wants us to go and fight this enemy. Come on. How about you today? Do you have an enemy? Do you have something you're battling? Do you have something you're struggling with? Are you going to be like Deborah? It says Deborah arose. She arose. Until the day she arose, the people were living in terrible times. They had no one to speak for them. No one stood up. No one stood in the gap. God's gaze was is looking for a people that will stand in the gap. 
God's gaze is looking to and fro every one of us to see who is willing to really do it. Who is really willing to serve him and, and to count the cost and to take up their cross and follow him. Because we live in a day where we need revival. We need something. We may not be in a physical war, but we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war for our families. We're in a spiritual war for the city, our nation, and the countries around this world. It's time for us to arise. It's time for Deborah's to arise once again. It doesn't take much. It just takes willingness. Look at Deborah. She was a lamplighter possibly in the temple of God. She started off. Doesn't mean that you're going to start off in a lofty position. Believe even Deborah was looking for that lofty position. She wasn't. She was looking to God. She just wanted to serve God. God chose her. She didn't apply for the job. She didn't apply for the job. You know, it's amazing when you look over your life, as I, I'm sure you have, I look at my life and I think of where I came from. I was a child raised in a home. My parents divorced when I was 10. My mother was on welfare. We tried to survive. We didn't have much. I didn't have education. But God is merciful. Because if you love him and you cry out and you call out to him, he can take you from the ash heap. And he can use you. You know, when you're not looking for it, when you're not going after it, when you're not wanting a position... That's when God can use you. So come on, I just want to encourage you, just start serving where you're at. If it's in the prayer closet, we all need to be in the prayer closet. Come on, serve at church. If you're not involved, get involved. Team is good. We don't want to do it alone. We need one another. We need a team to to be raised up so we don't have to run around and do everything. That's not what we're called to do. Right? We're all called to, to do something. So get involved. So Deborah arose. She rose up and she said, okay, let's go. So she gets on her horse, I believe. I don't know. I'm just picturing it in the way I think. <laughs> I just picture running, riding victoriously, you know, hair blowing. Come on, let's go. <laughs> the, you know, the sword of the spirit. Come on. So she gets, you know, she she rides forth victoriously. Come on, Barak, let's go. She goes into battle with him. She goes with him. She goes right down into the ditches with him. So they get there, and they're waiting. Barak brings his troops. Sisera hears. He gets word. It says in the Bible, in the translations that I looked at, that Deborah said, I'll take care of Sisera, basically. But I think... From what I've read, he probably got word from one of his friends, possibly, and we'll talk about JL a little later, possibly her husband gave him word that um, the Israelites are coming to fight. So Sisera says, come on, get my 900 chariots, get them ready, get their weapons, get all our warriors. We're going to the Kishon River, and we're going to be ready, and we are going to kill the Israelites. So here they are. The Israelites are there waiting, 10,000 of them, battle-weary from just everyday life, but ready and willing. They've had enough. And Deborah the prophet 
I believe she must have been interceding, got the word of the Lord. Okay, Barak, it's time now. Go and fight the enemy because the battle is ours. We're going to win. Go and fight. Now's the time. So Barak, he listens to the voice of Deborah because he believes it's the voice of God. Amen. We have to listen to the voice of God. Don't listen to one another. Come on. Unless it's God inspired. So many times we want to run to someone and say, what do you think? This is what I'm going through. You know, even now, I, you know, I'm 55 and I, I think when I have a problem, sometimes I don't even talk to my husband. I just think, no, I got to cry out to God. I got to hear his voice. It's not that we don't talk. We do talk. We do share. And it's important to have someone that's godly that you can go and pray with, intercede with, you know, but not just to say, woe is me. No. God wants us to cry out to him and, you know, Deborah, and, and so we can hear his voice and we can have his instruction on what we are to do. Deborah hears the voice of the Lord. It's time now, Barak. It's time to go. It's time to fight. Barak goes and it says that in, in Judges chapter five, I think it's verse 21. It says that God caused the Kishon River to overflow. So she said to Barak, God will go before us. So it says that Barak descended down the slopes. They were waiting at the Kishon River. Uh, Sisera was waiting with his army down below at the Kishon River, thought he was going to really kick butt with the Israelites, but God had another plan. Barak descends down the slopes into a battle, And what does God do? I believe that God caused a mighty storm to happen because it says the Kishon River overflowed and the enemy was swallowed up. Hmm. So God went before them. You know, you can just imagine if it was wet and muddy, their chariots are going to get stuck in the mud. They believe that the, the, the Canaanites fell into the river and, and the rest were killed by Barak and his army. God went before them. God will go before you. God will go before you. We don't have to go it alone. God is with us. So he went before him. They go after the enemy. They pursue the enemy. The Syrians, they get scared and they, you know, they start running and fleeing. They jump off their iron chariots and start fleeing. And, um, Barak and his, the Israelite army pursue the enemy and they defeat the enemy, except for Sisera. Sisera said he jumped off his chariot and he ran away, took off, hightailed it out of there. He's like, I'm getting out of here. This was the ruthless commander. This is the one that was oppressing the Israelites so badly. So as, as, as Barak's killing all his men, Sisera's taking off. And it says that he was found outside the tent of Jael. Now, Jael's husband and family, they were on friendly terms with King Jabin. But when Jael sees Sisera coming, she goes out of her tent and she says, come on in, it's okay, it's safe here. So he, she invites him into the tent. She get, gets the bed ready, covers him with a blanket. He asks for water. Can I have a drink of water? He was battle-weary. So instead, what did she do? She brought him, some translations say warm milk. 
in a leather bag, in a, a bag fit for a noble. This is what Jael did. She went and warmed up some milk, gave it to him, and he was so exhausted after he drank it, she covered him up again. He fell asleep, and what did Jael do? She acted quickly. She took a tent peg, she took a hammer, and she went and nailed him in the head and killed him. He died. She took that tent peg and she nailed it right through his skull, and he she he was put to death. See, she was cunning. Jail was cunning in a good way. She wooed the enemy into her home, into the bed. She, instead of giving him water, which probably would have made him more alert. You know when you're really hot and you're tired and you take a drink of cold water? Oh, I feel refreshed. But no, she gave him warm milk. She gave the enemy warm milk. And some even say maybe she gave him a bit of yogurt. And she covered him up because she knew that would lull him to sleep. I don't know about you, but remember in the old days your mother would warm up milk? Not mine, but I've heard of it. You know, warm milk caused you to go to sleep. Well, that's what she did. She was cunning. JL's name, it means mountain goat. A mountain goat goes to higher heights. A mountain goat is stretched. A mountain goat, it, I gotta just read this, just one, just give me a minute here. JL was used by God to defeat the enemy. She used her tent peg. She wasn't afraid. She did what God had assigned her to do. It's crazy. Okay, so it means mountain goat. It symbolizes new heights, new endeavors. It means to stretch yourself. The mountain goat, it symbolizes how we must plan our course and take our time. She didn't have much time to plan her course, and she didn't have much time to take. But I do believe that JL acted in the in the sense of the of the Holy Spirit. She knew that this was the enemy who was oppressing the people for twenty years, and he was in her tent, and she wasn't going to waste any time. JL, she took the tent peg and put it in his skull, hammered it in. She had anointing, the tent peg anointing. <laughs> Amen. She was used by God. She's the one. And what did Deborah say to Barak? Okay, I'll go with you. Deborah said to Barak, I'll go with you. But the honor won't go to you. It's going to go to a man, a woman. The honor will go to a woman. Wow. So prophecy was fulfilled. You know, I don't know that it really mattered who killed who, but God spoke through her prophetically how to Sisera would die. The honor would go to a woman. Wow. How awesome is that? So JL was known for her being the one who killed that wicked enemy, a mighty warrior for the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we see the enemy's defeated. He's killed, but Barak's still out there fighting. Barak comes back, he's pursuing, he's like, I know Sisera got away, so he's running after Sisera, trying to find where he is. JL sees him and says, come on, I'll show you the man you're looking for. And he, she um, shows him dead in her tent, Sisera's dead. And so the prophecy was fulfilled that God allowed a woman to take out this horrific commander of the army. How awesome is that? You know, influence is so important. Influence is so important. Barak's name, it means lightning. 
I thought this was interesting. It means lightning. Deborah was married to Lapidoth. She was a wife. Her husband's name means burning torch. And it, it was said that she was a lamp lighter in the house of God. I just like, wow, God's light from heaven was surely with them. God led them, and God can lead you today. So Barak and Deborah rose, and chapter 5, you can see the song of Deborah. What an awesome proclamation of what God did. In verse 7, it says that I, Deborah, arose. She arose, and you know, the mother of Israel. She was known as a mother to the people. You know, what does a mother do? A mother brings order. A mother nurtures. A mother loves. A mother brings direction. A brother, a mother brings correction. She was the mother of Israel, the prophet of her day, and the judge of the land. God can take someone, no matter what position, and raise them up to be a mighty warrior for him. You know, we're all called to be mighty warriors. We're all called to be warriors. We're all called to do something for the Lord. God can raise you up. God can use you in a mighty way. Don't think I'm insignificant. You're not insignificant. We all have a plan. It's like our body. We all need the arm. We all need the leg. You know, we need our body parts, just as the, the, the body of Christ needs one another to fulfill the destiny that God has for this day that we are living in. So what kind of influencer are you? Can we have the worship team come forward? What kind of influencer are you today? Come on. Are you a good influence? Are you a good influence? Do you influence in a positive way? I mean, I know I can always do better. can always do better. We can always do more for God. But God, don't think influence is little. Influence is big. Deborah brought, brought order out of chaos. She brought order out of chaos. She brought people back to, you know, trusting and believing in God again. Wow, how awesome is that? God is amazing, and he wants to use you in a mighty way. God has a plan for your life. He has a destiny. He wants you to be an influence for him. You know, we need to choose how we influence one another. So, you know, I just want to encourage you. Take time to think and pray. How am I influencing others? Ask yourself, am I a good influence? Am I a bad influence? You know, we say that of our young people. Oh, he's a bad influence over you. I wish you didn't hang out with him. But sometimes, even in the church, we can be a bad influence because we get negative mindsets. We got to come out of our negative mindsets. We got to start focusing on the Lord. And you know, it's so awesome because the whole story has got so much in it. God can take your mess and give you a message. I'm sure you've heard that said. He can take your situations and turn them around. God wants to do that for you today. God wants to use you in a mighty way. Don't be discouraged where you're at. Well, you might say, I haven't done much for God. I really haven't. You know, I, I know as a mother, for years, there wasn't a lot I could do. I served in kids' church because that's what I, you were supposed to do when you were young and you had kids and you were at church. I was a pastor's wife. I was always the pastor's wife and, you know, I did what I had to do. But then over the years, as I began, I always had that desire to intercede. 
I really believe that's a calling on my life to intercede, to cry out for revival, to cry out for my family, to cry out for more of him. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. It doesn't matter. You can start out just where you're at today. What is God speaking to you today? What's he saying to you today? What are you called to do? Are you ready to rise up like Deborah? Can you say, I want to arise. I want to rise to the place that God has for me. Come on, we can get so discouraged of the things we're going through. And we look at our problem and we magnify our problems. God doesn't want us to magnify them. He wants us to magnify Him. In magnifying Him...